Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. The reality is that we all struggle at times with how hard it can be to stay focused. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Even Jesus discovered how easy it can be to get distracted when you're being the right kind of person like he was and doing the right things that he was, and yet you still find yourself losing focus at times. Just a reminder of some things that are mentioned in Mark chapter 1. It was right after he was baptized that he faced repeated temptations by Satan to focus on himself instead of trusting God. I just want to let that settle in as we get started. Staying focused on ourselves instead of staying focused on trusting God. That was, that was the theme of the first temptations that we're told Satan presented Jesus with. Now, not long after that, he starts to assemble his ministry team, you know, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And then he goes to teach in Capernaum at a synagogue where a man with an evil spirit tries to take over the assembly and shout him down. They left the synagogue. And they went to Simon and Andrew's house where he heals his mother-in-law. Later that evening, after dark, The whole town brought their sick and their demon-possessed to him for healing. Sometimes it's easy for us to just kind of get lost in the the words on the page and not, not picture in our mind what this is like. Remember, who who was it that was there? It was people who were sick. Now, I don't know about you, but I do know that most guys have man sickness where they, they can't be quiet when they're sick. You know, they've got a moan and they've got a groan and they've got a sigh and, they've, and just stop punching him now, ladies, okay? If this were something that, you know, in all likelihood, this is not a little sniffle that they think they can get over. This illness that they find themselves so overwhelmed by that their only hope is to go to Jesus is something that's killing them. And so they bring this crowd to stand outside the door in the dark. And along with that, then let's mix in a few other crazy people who are crazy because they're demon-possessed. Now, I... Don't have lots of answers about that. I've got more questions than I've got answers. All I know is that in Scripture, any time that you see someone possessed by a demon and they're confronted with Jesus, it's not quiet. And it's not pretty. And it's dark out. And you're inside and you're here in that kind of chaos and craziness and screaming and shouting and moaning and groaning. Right? Out. Would you open the door? Probably not. In verse 35 through 37, after that evening when it says that he healed all of them, 
He gets up before dawn to go find a place where he can pray in private. And in that moment of privacy, when you're just trying to have a moment with you and God, it's a little tough to stay focused when you've got something, you know, let's, let's assume maybe you've shut a door or rolled up a window. And in that moment where it's just trying to be you and God so you can stay focused, or you know, this would have been the point where it would have been cool if I would have had my cell phone and had it set to ring and ring and beep and beep and beep. But you know what that's like, right? When you're trying to get something done and you get a string of a dozen different texts because they've put it in a group text. <laughs> And everybody who responds hits you at the same time. It's like, would you people learn how to operate your phones if you're going to have them? It's tough to stay focused when there's the constant interruption. And so, of course, Peter and James and John, Andrew, they, they go looking for Jesus. And they said, everybody's looking for you. And his response in verse 38 was, then let's leave. That's not the typical response that you would think you would hear from the compassionate, loving Jesus who's full of grace and mercy. We would expect that if we were writing the scripture, we would have probably written it. So Jesus immediately went back to where everybody was looking for him and met all their needs. But that's not what it says. He said, let's go to the neighboring towns to tell them about the kingdom of God. That's what I came to do. And there's his focus. And even then, a man with leprosy came to him and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And his response, I, I'm just imagining, was the same type of inflection that you and I would have had. If I'm willing. You see, it's easy to lose your focus, even if you're Jesus. But it's also easy for churches to get distracted and to lose their focus as well. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. In other words, there's things about God you don't understand. I'm about to tell you what those things are that you don't understand. And then he tells them this. What you don't understand about God, especially when it comes to those people among the Gentiles who have not had a relationship with him, that mystery, that secret, is that Christ is in you, and he is the hope of our glory. Now, Scripture makes it clear that our spiritual growth maturity is not the result of our religious ceremonies. And he would go on in verse 16 of Colossians or 2 to talk about that. He, he, he identifies the things that you eat, the things you drink, your religious festivals, your Sabbath regulations. None of that, as important as they were and as meaningful as they were, none of that is going to impact their spiritual growth maturity. All the church regulations, the worship, their images that they maintain, and the strict lifestyle of self-discipline. In, in chapter 2, verse 23, he says all of these rules seem to be wise, but they're worth nothing. And then he explains the reason why they're not worth anything. 
because they don't take away our desire to sin. And that is the kind of spiritual growth and maturity that Kurt talked about. The desire for change. Instead, every day, 24-7, 365, we realize there will be temptations to live our life following our natural instincts instead of following what God asks of us. And that's why Paul wrote to the Galatians this in chapter 4, verse 19. He says, my dear children, I'm suffering the pains of giving birth to you all over again. And this will go on until the Messiah takes shape in you. Don't, don't miss that. Our spiritual growth is the same as a baby taking grow, or growing in the womb of a woman. Here's an indication of a sonogram of that showing the different stages of that development. And Paul relates this imagery and this concept to our own spiritual growth as we handle our reaction to temptation. And he says, this is killing me. It's just like childbirth all over again, waiting for Christ, waiting for the Messiah to take shape and grow larger in you. Now, I know this sounds ridiculously simplistic, but consider the source, okay? That's just me. But here's this truth. Spiritual growth is the growth of God's Spirit within us. If I can make that bite size, if I can make that small enough to put in my pocket and take home with me, then I can get a, I can get a grip on that. My spiritual growth is equal to the, to the degree that I allow the Spirit of God to grow within me, just like that fetus growing and becoming larger within me. This is what enables Jesus to impact my everyday life, 24-7, 365. Not just occasionally. I allow the, the Spirit of God to get larger in me. And as a result of that, my life is changed by Christianity, not churchianity. And yours will be as well. Because the larger that the Spirit of God gets in you, the smaller you get. And the larger God is. We need to ask then, does my life reveal Christ's presence? Or just church protocols? I'll just be brutally honest. There's plenty of people that never miss a Sunday, but they've missed out on Jesus. Right? They would never dream. If the doors are open, I'm going to be there because if the Lord comes back and I'm not there, He may not know how, where to find me. We know those people, and some of us have been those people. So, 
what am I gauging my maturity and my Christianity on? The presence of Christ within me? Or the fact that I am a member in good standing because I do everything that a good church member is supposed to do without allowing Christ to get larger within me? Now, according to Ephesians 1 verse 23, members of the church, his body, are supposed to represent the fullness of him. In other words, he's supposed to be a fully developed Jesus. That's why the message and model for the church was the story of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts records what happens when the Spirit of Christ that grows within people meets and interacts with culture through His disciples. And the epistles, the letters written to the churches, they were written because those churches had gotten stagnant because Christ wasn't developing in them. Contrary to Angie's judgment, I'm going to share this illustration. So she tried, smacked me around afterwards. There are a number of, there are a number of people who understand the heartache when an anticipated expected pregnancy ends up with a stillborn birth. And that's nothing to make light of at all. It's incredibly great pain, just as a miscarriage sticks with you the rest of your life. But would that not also illustrate what happens when the Spirit of God that's supposed to be growing and developing within us stops because we've lost our focus of allowing Him to grow and get larger and develop in our lives 24-7, 365. You see, Sunday's Christian that's in church has got to also be Monday's Christ in the world. Wherever that world is, whether it's the world at home with preschoolers or whether it's the world at work in my career and profession or whether it's the world (laughs) because I got nothing to do except go to McDonald's and sit in a corner and drink coffee with all the other guys that are solving the world's problem. Whatever your world is, yeah, we, I've got a friend that calls that the Liars Club, and there's always a Liars Club. It doesn't matter where you go. Again, stop with this, okay? Kill any. But that's the idea of 24 7, 365, and living your faith every single day like God wants us to. Are we just Sunday Christians, or are we Monday? Christ representatives. Now here's an example of what it looks like in somebody's life when that happens. It's in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, as well as then 8, 9, and 10. 
He says, so put everything out of your life. Sexual sin, doing anything immoral, letting sinful thoughts control you, and wanting things that are wrong. Don't keep wanting more and more for yourself. Have you heard the phrase, eating for two, as it relates to pregnancy? Not just because this, but because something's growing and developing and forming in you. What is that? Are you nourishing it? Are you feeding it so it can grow? Don't keep wanting more and more for yourself, he says. And in verse 8, he says, put these things out of your life. Anger, losing your temper, doing or saying things to hurt others, saying shameful things. Don't lie to each other. And then the reason he gives is this. You've taken off those old clothes, the person that you once were, and the bad things you did then. And now you're wearing a new life. A life that's new every day. And he wraps it up with this. You're growing in your understanding of the one who made you. You are becoming more and more like him. That's the difference, becoming more and more like him. You see, it was a sobering compliment, and it really was intended to be a compliment that came at a really awkward moment for, for me and for Claudia because she was sitting beside me. We were at the Finley Country Club for a wedding reception. Thankfully, it was not one of our daughters who had her wedding reception at the country club. The server's making her way around, and she's filling up our glasses with water. And as frequently happens when you're trying to drink something, you've got ice in the the bottom of it, and all of a sudden that ice avalanches down and hits you in the face. Well, that happened to her with her pitcher of water while she was pouring my cup over me. I've got ice water down my shoulder, inside my neck, all down the front of me, in my lap. Thankfully, it was a dark suit. And everybody at the table of eight freezes, and they look at me, and they look at her, and they look at me, and then they look at Claudia. Because that's what happens, right? And then one of, one of our friends at the table reassured the server with this, who was just losing her mind with embarrassment. You know, she's got the towel over her arm or the, the napkin, the cloth napkin, and she starts to pat me down, you know, and then hands me the napkin so I can finish the job, you know, and... And she's apologizing profusely all over the place. And our friend at the table says, you know, you couldn't have spilled it on a better person in the room than him. (laughs) 
I'm drying myself off and I look at her <laughs> and she's not laughing. She's dead serious. And she realized, because everybody else laughed like you just did, she went on to explain, no, you don't understand. He's not going to yell at you. I know who he is. Well, the pressure was on then, right? You know? <laughs> it may have been... It may have been one of the best compliments that I've ever been given. Thankfully, that moment I lived up to it. But see, that's what happens when God places people exactly where He needs them. And Jeremy, you want to flip forward a couple there. I believe in divine intervention. I believe in God. And when we become more and more like Him, like it says, then we'll understand that God places people where He needs them to be. Scripture teaches us, for example, that God used Esther to save His people from political and personal agendas with the king Xerxes and his political hack, Haman. And as a result of what... Mordecai says to Esther in chapter 4, verse 14, he reminds her, he challenges her with this, maybe you've been chosen as queen for such a time as this. Claudia and I kind of stumbled across a documentary the other day, and it was, it was, really, it was really kind of cool. It was called The Jesus Music. And it was just kind of a, a documentary history of, of everything that happened from, in contemporary Christian music, from the early stories and, and you know, all through, you know, Striper and, and Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and Audio Adrenaline, all those guys. And, and it was really kind of neat, and especially then because it came back to Michael W. Smith, who talked about a time when he was working on another project and God kept waking him up at 2 a.m. every morning with this one thought for such a time as this. And he kind of rolled over, you know, and thought, oh, what the hell? what's that all about? And he says it kept happening every single night at 2 a.m. He would wake up with the thought for such a time as this for the better part of a week. And finally it was like, okay, God, fine. I'll put aside what I was doing, and I'll, I'll focus on an album of worship. And that album was when the song came out, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it, when it should have been all about you. All about you. The album finally got finished, and it had a drop date when it would be available for the country. And the drop date for the album that was prompted by For Such a Time as This, September 11th, 2001. God knew that people would be looking to reach out to Him. And they would use music to do just that. Scripture also teaches us that God places people 
who will do His will at just the right time. In Galatians chapter 4, when the right time came, as a matter of fact, the phrasing of it is, at the fullness of time, God sent His Son to redeem the guilty under the law of Moses. In Exodus 3, when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, He told him that He had heard the cry of His people, and He was going to rescue them from slavery in Egypt by sending Him, Moses, to confront Pharaoh to set His people free. God places people who will do His will at just the right time. But Scripture also teaches us that God places people in the lives of others at just the right time. And these are all things that you know. I'm just putting it together in in a sequence that reminds you of this. For example, when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch and taught and baptized him, it was in the middle of a desert road on the way to Gaza. Philip was there because it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 26 that an angel of the Lord said, Philip, you need to leave and go south down the desert road to Gaza. And that's where he met this Ethiopian treasurer who needed to understand about the idea of a sacrifice for his sin. He stops the chariot. They both go down into the water. He's baptized. They come up out of the water, and he goes on his way rejoicing after that. Why? Because God placed Philip at just the right place in the life of others at just the right time. There's a guy in the Scripture named Ananias. And the Lord appeared to him, and he said in chapter 9 of Acts, verse 11, you need to go to the street called Straight, to the house of Judas, not that Judas, a different one, And you need to ask for a guy named Saul. He's from Tarsus. Well, Ananias knew who Saul of Tarsus was because he was the one who'd been persecuting Christians, arresting them and putting them to death. And Ananias kind of questions God about that. Are you sure? Do you know who this is? But he does go and he says to him, the Lord has told me words that you need to hear so that you might be saved. And Saul of Tarsus is baptized and gives his life to the Lord because God placed Ananias in his life at just the right time. Later, Paul would write to the Colossians in chapter 4, and he would ask them, pray for us that God would provide an open door of opportunity to tell people his message. He was convinced that God would open doors at just the right time for people to be placed in the lives of others. But Scripture also teaches that God places people in the body of Christ with each other, His church, so that they might spiritually grow and develop. For example, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 18, God has arranged each one of us, it says, in the body of Christ just as He wanted. Let that sink in a bit. You were still trying to decide whether to get up and come church this morning at some point. But God knew what you would need to hear, what you were ready to hear, and what would motivate you to make a difference and a change in your life so that you could then make a difference and a change in somebody else's life because that's how the body of Christ works. In Ephesians 4, it would remind us that God gave some. So they're there because God placed them there in the body of Christ, the church. 
God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints. God gave people to the body of Christ so that others in the body of Christ would be equipped for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity that was measured by the fullness of God. Scripture teaches that God takes that God takes the circumstances of our life and places people as mentors to develop those Christian influences. Sometimes that doesn't always work like we think. I'm sure that some of the different women's retreats, Claudia has probably told some of you about a mentor that she had named Evelyn. And she'd been a part of our life, and we'd been a part of her kid's life for a long time, and then we finally had the opportunity to work together in the same church. So we moved there. We actually moved in and lived with them until one house sold so that we could close on and move into our, our other house. And she was so excited to be able to, to have a closer relationship with somebody that was her mentor. And then she came home after having been to the doctor and showed us an x-ray of a tumor. Her tombstone her tombstone is engraved with a phrase from the song O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And it was in the closing months of her life and her struggle to endure that Claudia got to mentor her faith when she needed it at just the right time. We had no idea But God knew, and He places people where He needs them to be as mentors when they need the influence of faith in their life. That's why Paul would say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Why? Because He was a mentor to those people and He would be their example. He was there because God placed Him there. Later, in a second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 1, verse 4, he reminds them there that God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Again, placing people in others' lives as mentors. He would write to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 9, and he would tell them, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, like when somebody spills a pitcher of ice water in your lap, Put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Why? Because God places people 
where he knows they need to be to serve as an example for others. Even if they don't see themselves that way, like when Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 12, and said, don't, look down, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but set an example for other believers. It's like when God told Moses, you need to go back to Egypt. And Moses ends up arguing with a burning bush. He says, no, not me. I'm not good enough. I can't speak. I, you, you got the wrong guy. Send somebody else. Just like Paul tells Timothy, I know you're young. I know you don't think you're ready. But you need to be an example for others. And on the other end of the spectrum, Peter would write in chapter 5, verse 1 and following to a group of elders And he would tell those who served as elders to shepherd the flock of God that's been entrusted to you. How do you do that? By being an example to the flock. God wants us to live our faith 24-7, 365, because God uses individuals to accomplish His will. He places us at penetration points in our culture at just the right time, like He did with Esther and Moses and Jesus and Peter. God fills us with the fullness of Christ and a conviction for obedience, just like Philip and Peter and Timothy. He uses us for our godliness and for the good of others, like Peter wrote to those who were scattered across the world at that time because of their faith, and he needed them to remember, not to forget. God is honored through us for His grace to people who didn't deserve it, to His mercy to people who weren't ready for it, and for the ministry that He's able to do through us. And for all eternity, all of heaven will sing His praise. Because God uses people who are available 24-7, 365. David, why don't you in the praise team join me on stage? And I'll wrap up with this, okay? Knowing God works like this, is what gives us courage and confidence. God is the source of our courage and our confidence. He clarifies what the church on Monday needs to be. And He gives us courage and He gives us confidence that on Sunday when we gather together, He knows that we do so because we can be encouraged, we can be inspired, and we can have our focus renewed again. He redefines our sense of purpose and success, giving us that inner peace and strength that even though we're not perfect, even though we don't always deserve the compliments that we get in the moment, He motivates us to live a life of faith 24-7, 365, and to give our story of trusting God credibility so that others could be encouraged when they need credibility most in their life. And He makes our influence on others as natural as a moth drawn to the porch light on a dark summer night. All because He's the source of our courage and confidence. That's why He needs people who are willing to trust Him 24-7, 365. Question is, are you willing to trust Him with your life? Wholeheartedly, every day.
in every way. And that opportunity will always be ours as God uses us to develop more fully and completely Christ in us, the hope of our glory. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.